Welcome back to the 126 pod. Back at it with another episode. Today we are interviewing Bird Granger and a Woodstock 99 thing. <laughs> Burke, welcome back. Thanks for having me. This is uh I do I do a lot of podcasts, but this is my favorite one. This this is the only this is the first time we've had a repeat guest come back on the pod. Wow, uh, I feel honored. We don't count, well, I guess we can count Michael McClurg. Kind of, sort of. Um, no, so last Friday, Ringer Films and HBO Max released a documentary on Woodstock '99 and all that was that music festival so many years ago. Yeah. So as I, I watched, I heard on the podcast on the Bill Simmons podcast, they talked about that it was coming out this this film, and so I had some time to kill. I think we were late Friday night. And I ended up watching it and loved it. And so right away, we've been trying to get back in touch with you to talk about MLB draft and all things around that. But knowing that I wanted to talk to the only person that I know that actually went to Woodstock 99, <laughs> we had to push all the other stuff behind us. And I wanted to get right to this. So I, I have a lot of questions about all that happened, how you got there. But any thoughts before we get into the story of actually how this became a, a thought in your mind to leave wherever you were living, Columbus, Minster River, and drive to Rome, New York? Well, for, first of all, how did you know that I went there in the first place? Is this, I, is this I a think, story that you've heard? Yeah, I think, there, I think there's at some point in time, I think I heard that you went. And I wasn't sure. I'm, I think it was years ago that somebody told me, well, Burt Granger went to Woodstock 99 and just... <laughs> He just took off from Minster. And I, and I really, I honestly don't remember anything else other than that. You sent me the text of who you what you went with earlier today. Yeah. I don't, I just know that I think you went and I don't, I'm, I'm shocked that I don't know more about your trip there and how we, I didn't dig in with a thousand questions of you going there and what it was like, because I have a thousand questions right now. So, um, but yeah, so I just had some memory from probably a bar conversation years ago that you actually went to this thing. So, yeah, it, I did go, I went with Brad Ranley and I was pretty much, I was a pretty passive music fan at that time. This was, I was 20 years old. I was not, I was going to turn 21, like in a couple months. Um, and I had no intentions of going to Woodstock 99. Like Brad Ranley is a big mu music fan. He, he was really adamant about going to Woodstock and he and I played on the same softball team, Bud softball. So this whole week he's like, Hey, let's go to Woodstock. And I'm like, no, no, I, no, I'm, bro I'm broke. I have no money. I was still in school. Uh, we had a softball game on Thursday night, which I took way more seriously than I should have. <laughs> and then that Saturday was supposed to be the, that Saturday was the Clooney classic. And I was the defending champion at the Clooney classic. And I'm like, now Adam, Adam Clooney will be, be so ticked off at me if I missed the Clooney classic and Brad Ramley was supposed to play the star spangled banner on his guitar at the Clooney classic, which again, I, th I thought these were actual commitments that we had to meet. And I'm like, Nope, we got to do this this weekend. Um, and he just kept asking me over and over again. And every time I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. So we go, we play our softball game on Thursday night. Brad's on the team with me and afterwards as is the custom and i assume it's still the custom we go to buds 
for, for beer and pizza after the game. And the later the night got, the more he kept talking me into, dude, let's just go. Let's leave now. Let's go to Woodstock. It starts the next day. It start, yeah, this is, so this is Thursday night. We're talking, these conversations are happening around midnight on Thursday. And I think it starts at like 2 p.m. the next day in, so the, in, in so Rome, the, New York, which is 10, 10 hours away. So I Google mapped it. It's eight hours and 52 minutes from. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you take I-90 from Cleveland across the, 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 the freeway up there. And so if it's the pre-show started on Thursday, July 22nd, 1999, which would have been an early Clooney classic, by the way. We can get into that later uh, yeah. from the customary Labor Day weekend. That's, that's probably why it got moved is because of that. <laughs> yeah, so. when, you're world, when you're a world champion of the world, things move around you and your schedule. But so on Thursday, as you guys are at Bud's, third base – um in bloom little big i mean these like the like the the pre-show is playing out in rome new york at what's like the night and you guys are at buds at about what time when you finally pulled the trigger so again money was an issue i i was unemployed i was in college and had like literally had probably 200 to my name and it cost $150 to go to this thing. That, that's just the ticket price, not to mention food, drinks, gas, all everything that goes into that. So yeah. I'm like, hey, if you if you can get me $150, I'll go. So he takes his hat and, and walks around Bud's as a collection. <laughs> and he raises maybe like $45. And then he throws in his ATM card. He's like, I'll get the rest. Let's go. Scholarship. Yep. Now, so I was 20, Brad was 19, and we were both driving like piece of piece of garbage vehicles. So we're like, that's problem one. We don't we don't know if we have a vehicle that can, can we get there to Rome, New York. And uh, I think his name's Steve. It's Pepe. Steve Peppelman, I think he was a, a pitcher on our team. He's like, you can take my work car. And we're like, seriously? He's like, yeah. So we go to we leave Buds at like 1 a.m. on Friday morning, go to his house, and he hands us his car, his car keys. Like, you can take the car. <laughs> what kind of car was it? <laughs> well, at night, it looked like it was better than our cars, right? <laughs> but it was like, so I was driving like an 89 Chrysler LeBaron. I don't know what Brad's car was. Solid. I think this was probably like an 86, like Buick LeSabre that we were driving. Had a, a, yeah, I drove one of those boxy LeSabres till I, yeah. I wrecked it in 90s. Yeah, I know, I know that car. Now we should, we should have known something was up because he's like, he hands us a screwdriver. He's like, if you need to pop the trunk and you should, you should check the oil every few hundred miles, he, you need the screwdriver to pop the trunk. And we're like, all right. Um, so literally like, I have to drive to, we, we go to my mom's. I'm, I'm staying with my mom for the summer. She's asleep. I write her a note that says, went to, went to Woodstock in New York, be back Sunday. Thinking she's going to be furious with me. So um, hold on. So you never had a conversation with her? No, no, not, not. I called her on the way from a car phone. This is pre-cell phones. It was a car phone. So... I, I take a loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter, a box of saltine crackers, 
like 18 beers that I had in a case from, I, I had just come back from Canada where I was legal. So I'm, again, I'm under 21, but I had, we were on a family vacation in Canada and I had some leftover beer. Quick, quick timeout on the peanut butter. It sounds a lot like the Sammy Smith uh, uh, faux kidnapping from the University of Dayton in 2001. Just a shout out to Sammy Smith and that whole thing from the 2001 uh, Sammy Smith faux kidnapping where he somehow was found in the middle of Texas in a Camaro or something. Keep going. Sorry. That was that goes beyond my, my understanding. Um, but yeah, so just real hastily put together like a duffel bag full of clothes. Yeah. Literally, that's all the food we took. Have hardly any money to our names and a borrowed car. Um, and then we start driving. Estimated so, amount of money in Brad Ranley's uh, ATM checking account at the time. Oh, I mean, it's it's minuscule. Like he <laughs> he might have had five hundred dollars to his name. I had yeah. two hundred. <laughs> like we had we had no resources. We this was a irresponsible decision from day one right this is there's no justifiable reason for us going which is me which is why when i was stone sober i'm like not going this bad is idea stupid. yeah bad idea now brad did stay sober because this was his plan like i he knew that uh, the, the more uh inebriated i got the the more likely it is that we'd be able to go so so brad drives and i'm riding shotgun when we get to like Bowling Green, the sun starts going up uh, and the check engine light is on. And I'm like, I'm starting to sober up. And I'm like, looking around at this car that is in terrible condition. Like, <laughs> we sh- I'm like, we made a giant mistake. We should have taken one of our cars. We're not going to make it there. Let's pull over. Let's check the, check the oil. Let's figure out. Get the out screwdriver out. Get the screwdriver out. And at this point, I'm, I'm starting to hitting to Brad, like, dude, it's, let's turn, let's go home. This is, this is not a good idea. And he's full go by this point. He's like, nope, we're going, we're going, we're going. So um, we somehow become comfortable enough to keep going. And man, like, oh, then we get to like the Cleveland area. This is about 7 a.m. And I'm like, I better call my mom to see how she's reacting to this note. <laughs> and, the, and the peanut butter and beers that you see slept from her yeah. fridge. And I was, so this is calling from a car phone. So we probably spent, again, money we don't have, like $15 a minute on these, this telephone call. Now, is it, is it Pepe's uh, phone or did No, you it's, have- it's Brad Ranley's parents. They, yeah. they, they were awake when he left and they gave him like, emergency supplies like here's a car phone that's plugged into a cigarette lighter so i call my mom and i'm like hey uh did you see the note that i left and she's like no where are you uh and i'm like well we're in cleveland and i'm going to new york and she's dead silent i'm like are you mad and she's like nope you're an adult you can make your own bad decisions and i'm like okay so peace i'm out and then like so we keep going, we go through, then we're driving through like Pennsylvania. This is the last, like the next significant event that I remember. We're driving through Pennsylvania and they come over the radio and they say, you know, hey, if you guys are heading to Woodstock, you might as well turn around now because tickets are all sold out. And I'm like, at this point, we're six hours from home and I'm just staring daggers at Brad, like, dude, what are we going to do? And he's like, 
let's just keep going. We'll keep going. He's like, no, don't worry about it. It'll work out. And I'm just more like, he is way more laid back about this than I am. I am very <laughs> uptight about the situation. And finally I'm like, all right, we're pulling in. There's a McDonald's up here. We're going to pull in. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about this. And we pull in and he and I are eating in this, this, uh, like tourist, but like it's a tour bus, but not a band tour bus that like had radio station letters on the side that was driving to Woodstock, taking a bunch of like contest winners. They pull up to this, to this McDonald's and they come, they approach us and they're like, Hey, you guys need any extra tickets to Woodstock? And we're like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they gave it, they sold them to us for like face value which was still $150 in 1999 was a lot. That's what, that's what these concerts cost now. Like back then they took, they took a lot of heat for being like, this is too expensive. This is against the tradition of Woodstock of peace and love. This is commercialized. Yeah. We'll get to that um, part later. There's a lot more there, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. So, so we, we paid the $150 each for the tickets and we're like, we're re-energized at this point. Like, okay, let's go. Let's keep roll. in mind, keep in mind, no sleep. This is day one of the trip, zero sleep. And it Eat butter get... crackers and um, wholesome IGA bread. Yeah. Plus, a, plus some Mickey D's in your system. A little bit of McDonald's, but not much, not much food or beverages otherwise. So at this point, we're energized. We go, and Brad had done some research because, again, he wanted to go. Up until a few hours ago, I'm like, I'm not going to Woodstock. It doesn't matter. So I had no idea where this thing was, where Rome, New York was. What, is it out in the field? Turns out we find out when we get there that it's at, at a retired naval base or Air Force Air base. Force Base, yeah. Griffiths Air Force Base. Which is just this giant, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like a concert venue. It's a giant because it's private not. airport. Yes. And I didn't find out till I watched the documentary is the, you know, one of the main reasons it was picked is because of the walls surround the infrastructure around that has walls because of the two prior Woodstocks, people just snuck in and defeated the whole purpose of, of them making money. So, yeah. So Woodstock 94, I did some research. They sold 142,000 tickets, but an estimated 550,000 people actually got, they just, that's just a guess yeah. because they showed in the, in the documentary, just people, just like going under, over, and through the fence yeah. that was there. And it was no no thicker than a chain link fence in a backyard. It was, there's literally nothing to it. So um, this this was like, it was heavily fortified like sure. an Air Force base would be. Yeah. So that was the appeal for the organizers. Now for the attendees, like it was a hundred degrees. It was late July, hundred degrees. And this this place had no, there's no shade. There's no, there's not a tree around period. It's just this giant Air Force base. All blacktop. And it's asphalt that's making, yeah. that makes 100 degrees feel like 118 degrees. And so, oh, all right, so we arrive in New York. I'm going to pull up there. Do you have any questions before I, or should I just keep going? No, I'd like you keep going because this okay. is where I want to, like where as you start to get in and in the video, in the documentary they showed, you know, some of the footage of the cars backed up down the road as you get into Rome and all that stuff. So I'd like to know about that scene as you're, as you're getting into Rome or getting close to it. I didn't, we, I didn't, I don't remember a ton of traffic for, for us, but we, but you were late getting there. We were late. <laughs> we, we could hear like there was a radio station that was playing all the sets live. Yeah. And we were, I remember listening and James Brown was on 
which kicked off like the main stage on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that was as we, now we did go to like, we went to a Walmart in Rome, New York. And this place is, this town is very small. Like 30, 30 Walmart is the people. only thing to have. Yeah. yeah. So we, I remember we bought like a styrofoam cooler and maybe some ice to, for our beer, Gatorade, water, anything we could have and keep in our, our cooler in the trunk of, of that car that we borrowed. That so, you needed a screwdriver to open. Yes. Screwdriver chunks. <laughs> now, and we parked in some field that we needed to then take a shuttle from that field to, to okay. the place. With our goal is, so you saw on the dock, like a lot of people brought tents and camped within the Air Force Base. Yeah. We didn't, we planned to sleep in the car. In Pepe's car. Yep, in Pepe's car. In 100 degrees. <laughs> In, in july <laughs> this this after not sleep so no sleep on thursday you attend a concert all day friday you go back to a car and try to try to sleep in the back of a car um that's 100 it, degrees like we got we got zero sleep on thursday on saturday on friday or saturday so what time do you actually go in they they rip your ticket and it's about what time i think it was about 334 o'clock because the first act that was playing when we got there was Jamiroquai. Yeah. And he was the third person to, to perform that day. So just a, a quick like throwback to people that maybe don't remember it. Like so at Woodstock 94, they had musical acts like I looked it up here. They had um, like Cheryl Crow, Blind Melon, Joe Cocker. They had Crosby, Stills, Nash. They had Aerosmith at 94. And so 99 which was a, just a different scene in music because some Such of the weird, weird it was a, music yeah scene. like the like the just a, I'll stay away from the hip hop stuff um, but like just with the like Nirvana was literally no more uh, you know Pearl Jam was kind of in between like their big album like Ten was done and they were kind of in between some of the, the other stuff Dave was kind of taking shape but like really this like angry like scene of and I'm, I'm angry is maybe not the right word, but like this kind of hip hop, angry mosh pit scene that I feel like, like back in college in the day, it was just like, you just got tossed or you were tossing people anytime this came on, which was Limp Biscuit, Corn, Rage Against the Machine, Insane Clown Posse. Like it just was- Kid a, Rock. Kid Rock. It was a, like a violent, like see when it came on, people started jumping up and down and you were getting tossed. And then you're going to toss somebody else. And that was 100%. kind of how you got down and danced to, or quote unquote danced uh, and enjoyed this type of music. So it was just like different time yes. in like Eminem. And then like the, as I talked about like Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees, Britney, Christine, all that stuff was kind of, was kind of top of the charts. And it, we yes. had this other scene and it was just a really like weird, different, funky time for music in general. And it was huge. Like people like to, rip on like lip and biscuit now but like they were wildly popular and i was yeah. i was a fan like back in the day like and thought it was good now when i listen to it i'm like yeah this isn't very good but like i unironically listened to it like it was one of the limp biscuit was one of the acts i was looking forward to the most when i went there um and yet we always called it rap rock like yeah. i see in the documentary they're calling it new metal i didn't know that was the term uh, for that that type of, of music but yeah it was it was an odd time short-lived but those bands were like this was the peak of like corn that was yeah. uh, 
like th- these bands played New Year's Eve, like yeah. on like like on 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 ABC and MTV, which was which did the big show with uh, Carson Daly, and like that was this was the New Year's Eve, you know, eleven eleven thirty set, uh, Limp Biscuit, Corn, like that's who they had on. That was the thing. Yes. Yep. It wasn't just this smaller scene of just. Uh, white dudes with uh with their hats on backwards jumping them down trying to maul other other dudes it's it was a, it was just it's where everybody listened to yeah so yeah jamiroquai was the first act that they were he was about i think it's he it's a guide right it's not a band he was like halfway through his set when we got there and we didn't really get that close to the stage when he was playing and that was another thing like it was a big shock to me like truly how many people were there because it was i think it's been reported now like between four and five hundred thousand people yeah and so like it so there was the two stages and so i mean let's just call it 50 50 there was two hundred thousand people at a stage call it i mean there were 150 like it was it was really lopsided towards one stage. like there was a main stage and then that the west stage no one hardly went there, like other than the diehards of the that those bands. Yeah. But like the, the main draw was the East Stage, and it was probably like 300,000 people there and 100,000 people at the other one. Which gotcha. 100,000 people is huge for a concert, but it paled in comparison to what was going the, on in the East The stage. entire Ohio Stadium on one level flat ground yes. surrounding by a stage uh, in, a fen- in a military protected fenced in area in and the middle of the these stages were like, a mile apart from one another yeah so like if you wanted to go check out a band at a different stage you had to walk on that blacktop at the air force base down a runway <laughs> and it was so damn hot it was like uh and, and everybody's and everybody's earmuffs naked yes yeah like like, like people have their everyone's got their shirts off i mean i guess i i <laughs> That no, was very prominent on the on the documentary, and it was like it was obviously noticeable to nineteen and twenty year old kids when you walk up and you see naked people everywhere. But you'd also be shocked by how quickly you become desensitized to it. Yeah, and like it becomes no. Four hours later, you're just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a big deal. So you come up there and then you get into Jamiroquai and then like later that night just looks like in no whatever particular order you had one of the three female acts, Cheryl Crow, that was there. She was there along with the, in the later days, Latest More said, and then Jewel, which is just an odd mix of three female performers with this crew. But you had Cheryl Crow, The Offspring, which was pretty solid for a few years there back in the day. I was uh, a bit, I again, they were one of the bands I, look, I looked forward to seeing. Like it, they don't hold up, but live dmx and then and bush live dmx bush and corn after sheryl crow yes no live live was before sheryl crow they were live, okay live was right after jamiroquai so we went up we got up to the stage for live because that was like they were big too yeah a few more mostly like a couple years before that and so we got up to the stage with them but then like it wears you out being in the mosh pit when it's 100 degrees out and you haven't slept so we were up there for like the whole hour of their set. And then we, we bailed for Cheryl Crow. We're like, all right, let's go back to the car, recharge our batteries, come back for DMX, Offspring, Corn, and Bush. So I, I don't think we saw Cheryl Crow. And I think that was the MO that we did the next, the next day too. We're like, let's, 
Alanis Morissette, that seems like a good a good one to miss and go back and get food and water and stuff like that. Closet, Alanis Morissette fan over here. Uh, decent album. I mean, I think she's touring again right now. She's she's talented yeah. and she she holds up better than a lot of these bands that I was looking forward to seeing. So so you take the shuttle then back to your car, to Pepe's car. Yes. You you turn on make myself a peanut butter sandwich. You know, <laughs> mix mix some Gatorade and, and vodka. And have have a lukewarm beer and let's let's do this now. They made a lot. Much was made on the documentary that they were selling water inside for four dollars a piece. Which beer and water was all four bucks, which is yes. Again, nineteen ninety nine, four dollar waters was it's, that's insane. Like yeah. now, just like anything else, they were selling bootleg things. Like people would just go to Walmart, buy a case of water, and sell it for a dollar a bottle. Sure. Right before you got into the venue, so and they were selling red beans and rice. So like, instead of buying a five dollar hot dog, it was like, all right, I'll take a red a bowl of red beans and rice. <laughs> a really refreshing treat and a 98 degree day and like give me two waters and then boom that's what i had to try to replenish but i you know that was all sweated out like 30 minutes later anyway yeah. but so we we go back and we we did go back and watch the offspring yeah we got up front for them and they they put on a pretty good show and then all the corn fans start coming now Corn followed Offspring. Those bands, they're two wildly different followings, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so as the, all the Corn fans are walking towards the stage, Brad and I were not Corn fans yet. So I'm like, man, let, let's go back a little bit for this. I don't know. I don't know any Corn songs or anything like this. And let's stand back a little bit. Now, for, the, for those listening to this podcast at home, pause this and go check out, pull up on your YouTube machines, Corn Woodstock 99, Blind, because that's the song they opened with. And it was just as everything got dark there for our first night there. And 200,000 people singing in unison. It was, the, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So I became a Corn fan that night because I'm like, this, this is, awesome. is insane. It, it was that was the first time where I was like, okay, I'm I'm truly happy that we showed up because other than that, I was like, I made a giant mistake. But then I'm like, okay, this is really cool. It's a really cool experience. Um, so we, we watched Corn and then uh, Bush was after them, and again, Bush was was pretty big back in the day too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 definitely skipped over them on on the documentary like yeah they were they were big i uh, never really felt bush um for for me corn was the highlight of that first that first day and then you know we we stayed for bush and then back to the car to try to try to get any sleep and like i probably slept 2 hours that night and this after yeah. staying up the whole night before so you think corn was the best performer on day 1 Yes, I do. And that, and this is me going in skeptical and not really like, I'm not a court fan, but they won me over with their performance. Did you, so you went back to the car and you crashed. Did you see like the, the rave hanger? And did you like, like, cause they had, that was going on 24 seven. Yes. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that was, but there was music 24 seven. And after the kind of the, the concerts were over, you go to the, the rave or whatever the, the, 
whatever you want, the techno room or whatever it is in the hangar there. And then, so it was, what was, did you ever consider doing that or what was that? Not, not really. Like I was not, I was not into that scene, yeah. but that was, that was big too in the time. Like you were in college yeah. at the same time as me, like house music, techno, like yeah. light sticks. Yeah. And yeah, that really wasn't my scene, but I think we, we might've like peeked our head in, but like we were so yeah. beat. Like it's, we're, we were trying to, trying to get some sleep, which it was a lost cause anyway. We should have just stayed out all night anyway. So then you go back and you crash, and then Saturday you take the shuttle back in at what time? Let's see. I'm looking at the set. The f- pretty early because Kid Rock was the second act. So we and we saw Kid Rock. I think we missed the tragically so hip. Started at like noon. Is that right? Or yeah, like, I, I would. Yeah. I would. I think. I think so so. similar, each, like the country concert type of a setup. Yeah, each one of these is like an hour. Each one does like an hour set with some time to you know set things up in between. Did you see Wyclef Jean in the Refugee All-Stars? I, I must have. I don't remember it. God, yeah. Um, like this, the Saturday is like Wyclef, Kid Rock, in whatever order, Counting Crows, Dave Matthews, Alanis Morissette, Limp Biscuit, Rage, and Metallica all on one stage in one day? Yes. <laughs> now, and Dave was huge back then. Oh, that was like Prime Dave. And Brad, that was Brad's like marquee band he wanted to see. Um, and they played at like four in the afternoon. Yeah. Which is which was odd. And it was again a hundred degrees out. And I think the only time I went over to the other stage was to see Everclear, which I liked at that time. Okay. Um, so I think I missed Counting Crows to go watch Everclear and then came back for Dave. Another thing that didn't even occur to me until I saw the documentary is like. Again, this is pre-cell phones, and Brad and I would split up. So we're, we're 10 hours from home and no cell phones, and we would just be like, hey, let's meet over there at, you know, 3 o'clock. And give or take 15 minutes, we, would, we found each other, but a lot of people didn't, and you saw that they would have, like, missing posters there, like, because people would go with, with their friends, and you would just get separated because there's a half a million people there. They, so on the documentary, Jackson, they had a, a string of payphones. So people yeah. would bring their quarters, put in the money in the payphone. They'd, they'd call or page or whatever somebody to let them know where they were. But they had this like pavilion to where people would put sticky notes and like letters to like, hey, Jackson, be back here at four or meet me here at three. Meet me at the t-shirt stand. At yeah. Like, and so that or that's just where you went at four or three o'clock, like Burke said, to go find and meet up to go to the next place. But you're in a place that has essentially the equivalent of four Ohio stadiums in one area. There's no phones and it's a, it's a couple miles probably in total, uh, you know, total property, total land. And you go to one pavilion. <laughs> and, and the people there, everyone is young, irresponsible and inebriated in, in some capacity. Like, it's it's a recipe for disaster so when when things ultimately did go terribly wrong no one should have been surprised yeah mm. so you so you conquered the, the, the lack of communication and technology with just it would just work with just dumb luck luck and so pretty much luck and so saturday like they caught a lot of hype with like the lint biscuit stuff with so where they were breaking down fences and boards and people are crowd surfing literally surfing on plywood plywood across so did you see this like was this 
Were you in the middle? Yeah, of the Fred Dirt. Like people were doing that in the mosh pit, like surfing on the, these plywoods. And this is plywood that was ripped off parts of like the stage. Yeah. And Fred Durst was like, well, that's pretty cool. And he he went up on there. Like, they passed it over to him. He got up there and sang a song while crowd surfing on there. Totally impromptu. And it, at the time, I'm like, this is amazing. Now, he's taking a lot of heat for, like, contributing to the overall angry vibe of that place. But, like, yeah. that was also, like, that was that was the genre of music. That was the era. Like, it was a bunch of, like, guys being mad for for no we had no reason to be mad and angry but like we were all mad and angry uh, yeah other than just, we were just hot and cranky but like that was that was just the era of music that we listened to that just an edge like you went from like the yeah. you had like the grunge you had the the rap they hit like the west coast east coast hip-hop like scene and then you had um and then you had this like all in one decade like we went to great we went to junior high high school and college all in one decade and the three musical genre like couldn't be any more different yeah um throughout the course of that 10 years like and it, if you didn't if you weren't into this type of music the only other option was the bubblegum like it was the NSYNC Backstreet Boys Britney Spears Christina Aguilera so like you could either be into this rap rock or you're into the the 100 the pop stuff which and i feel like the people the guys that were into the pop stuff just did it because they wanted to get they wanted to get the girl to like them 100 100 yeah yeah and that that wasn't me no me neither yeah, um definitely so you go through the whole day we're still on gatorades and and whatever uh vodka gatorades and a few warm beers did you anything like did you like it was a successful day. Like you, you guys were good. It was just kind of like navigating, like that said, back and forth meetups and seeing the nudity, the mud. Like they all also talked about like how like the pipe, the some of the people broke the pipes to potentially cleanse themselves. And really it was just human waste and feces floating around by the camp. Like, yeah, I don't even remember seeing that much, that many people um, covered in mud. But if they were, like, it had to have been plumbing. It had to have been sewage because, again, it was it was hot. It was sunny. There was no water. There was no, like, ponds or lakes there. Like, yeah. if, it, if there was water, if there was mud, it was because, like, a sewage pipe burst. So people were likely just rubbing feces all over themselves, yeah. not, not mud. Not you. So, so then yeah. Saturday night goes you survive the limp biscuit thing you're now so it's Meta metallic metallica is the last act on oh, saturday yeah. yeah and they were like that they were great like that yeah. was a, a huge thing and and we had already made up our mind like if you look at the sunday lineup it wasn't that good we're like we're, and we had to go back to like work and school on monday yeah because again not a lot of planning went into this trip so we're like Hey man, on on Sunday we're just gonna get up and go. We're not even gonna try to go to any, yeah. any of these. Yeah, the Sunday lineup is Everlast, Willie Nelson, Elvis Costello, Jewel, Creed, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, and I mean, I would have liked to see Red Hot Chili Peppers, but well, I wasn't gonna... have, no, you have Brian Setzer Orchestra. <laughs> they and they were for some reason big back in like. That's I don't remember what's what's the <laughs> it was like what's it's like what is it ragtime or like swinger music swing and jump blues swing time yeah 
it be, it, it had a jump, a jump dive and whale. That's what it was. Jump, yeah. jump. <laughs> yep. When you're so listeners at home, when you're done listening to Blind, turn on Brian Setzer Orchestra, With and the, then and then you'll realize why we skipped that day. Was the Brian Setzer Orchestra? Was that the song that? Uh, they had a, a swingers at the end when he yes. danced. Yeah, yeah. Yep. that was a hundred percent. Which is what that's that movie is the whole reason that they got this gig. I'm, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that would have been a couple years later. So, so you go back and crash in the car. Did so you didn't make an attempt to even go back in on Sunday. You guys slept or just drove back. And by the way, you're now on. You played a softball game. You went to Buds. You got your bud smell on. You then drive, uh, you know, a third of the way across the country, and we've yet to shower or clean ourselves. Or correct, uh, correct. And this is again, a hundred degrees, like yeah, every day. We, we smelled, we smelled terrible. <laughs> We're not sleeping, not showering. So by Sunday, I think I, Brad was still sleeping in the car and in, in the shotgun, a face car. And Peppy's car, and I just started driving at like six in the morning. I'm like, we're I'm out. out. Let's we're going home. Um, and he probably woke up like halfway through. He's like, Where are we? I'm like, We're in Pennsylvania. And so again, I was broke. I had my mom's credit card for emergencies. Call her on the cell phone and ask if if we can go to Ponderosa <laughs> to the buffet. Because we hadn't eaten, like you couldn't find a sizzler or a yeah. Or something. She she okay's the trip to Ponderosa, and then we get there. I remember like loading up my plate, but because like we hadn't eaten or drinking or slept, like it just I would I couldn't even eat. I was so sick. Like it was like this is disgusting. Like take it back. Yeah. Uh, and then we just yeah we went home. Um, and because I missed Clooney Classic, I got a, a one year ban from. <laughs> I got kicked out of the Hall of Fame temporarily. No longer, no longer the world champion of the world. Right, because I I wasn't there to defend my title, so um, it was a nasty a nasty dispute between myself and the Clooney family. But in the they knew that you know if they if they're going to sell tickets to this event, we need to mend my relation mend their relations with no me. more uh, no more Burkaholic shirts selling. That's right. Anymore. That's right. Although I think Adam will tell you like. That was the most highly attended Clooney Classic is the one that I wasn't there. Like yeah, everyone had a, thought they had a chance to, to, to everyone, <laughs> everyone like they they had a bunch of kegs. There's several several of the people who got underage consumption tickets, including I'm not gonna rat anyone out, but someone who is a, a frequent guest in your basement uh, got an underage consumption. <laughs> I'll let you figure that out. I've had uh, since the first uh, the first appearance on the on the one two six pod. I've had three people. Come up to me and be like, I was a burkaholic. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I had a shirt. I had a shirt. I was a burkaholic. There we go. I mean, it's yeah. widespread. Yeah. Shout out to Cousin Jet, uh, first to come through. Then a few others, like, yeah, I had one too. I was kind of in. Um, so, like, overall, would you like the fact that you like went to Woodstock 99? Would you have done it again? Would you like, would you? Not, not would you do it again now, but would you, if you could go back in time and tell the 1999 Burke Ranger, would you say, yeah, this is going to be worth it. It's worth the experience. You need to go do this. Or, yeah. or, or that was, holy crap. We just drove 20 hours for 20 hours of music. Didn't eat, 
basically polluted our body and then came back. I think even when I got back and how exhausted I was, I'm like, I know this is going to be a pretty good story that I'm going to get mileage on this story for years to come. I did, I, I did feel like it was, this, it was, uh, you compared to the other Woodstocks, this was the one it, that was the least critically acclaimed, like in the most panned, like, which is the reason why they're making documentaries about what a disaster it was. They, um, they netted only 200, the city of Rome netted $200,000 in total with 400,000 people paying 150 bucks a pop plus vendors paying, I think it was $500 for a, a vendor license to sell and whatever else they were trying to do there. So you think about all of those things and granted, it's an unmitigated disaster. It's a disaster. Like you yeah. just, I can keep going. You can keep doing the numbers more and more. And it's like, I think after all the fines, fees, plus, there was the tragic event they talked about where the, the young guy died. Um, I think from, there were a couple deaths. I think there I, were. I, there's also yeah. some, uh, yeah, I don't think it's appropriate to get into now, especially with Jackson here with just the sexual assault stuff that happened. Yeah. The absolute disaster and tragedy. So it, um, yeah, between all of those and then the fact that they tore things down and the part that you, we didn't talk about really is during the Red Hot Chili Peppers is where they had all the fires and people just started burning things, which, when you go back and watch it, they the the fires and the and the candles came from the people that were protesting gun violence. And Columbine, so, yeah, yeah, the Columbine, which was just before that. So they gave candles to protest uh, the violence, and then people just lit everything on fire. And at the end of the day, uh, they had to call in the fire departments and the the NAS, like the army, and obviously the state police, and it was just a mess. Don't think and there this was, was any gun violence there. There wasn't, but it was a unique yeah. time for, for gun violence. Yeah. Um, I, I lost my train. Oh, so this was pre-internet. or I mean, the yeah. internet was there. Pre, Pre-Twitter, pre-everyone having access to the internet at their fingers. It was Netscape Navigator days. Yeah. That's about right. That's so, about it. So, so we didn't even know that this, that about the fires and the riots and stuff until we got home. Yeah. And I kind of watched that lot. I think we got home and like watched, turned on MTV and watched it play out live. Like, holy cow, like we were just there and now it's burning because I didn't really, I didn't really get a sense of like tension building up in the days before that, that all came to this crescendo on Sunday night. Like I think for the most part, everyone had a good time and got what they wanted out of it. It was still a disaster in the terms of like, you know, there was no no public or free water and they overcharged for for food and stuff like that but like i don't think that really led into i don't think that was the cause for the fires i think you get a bunch of people that are drunk and sleep deprived and get have hyperthermia from overheating yeah and they they take out the rage that way what's interesting i thought at the end they talked about coachella which started the very next year and you think about even just on our level over here with country concert to where, and I'm sure every other type of festival is the same way to where you can bring in your own water or you could bring in your own, you know, uh, you, you can bring in your own beer for the most part. Yeah. You can bring in your own stuff and you pay the ticket and then you then frequent the vendors and stuff there. But it, um, where they, you weren't allowed to bring in anything, no water, no food, nothing to this thing, except 
your camping gear, <laughs> your can, you can bring in money, camping gear, and potentially drugs is what they highlighted. You could sneak past them. Yeah. And but no, like you couldn't bring in freaking water or food into this freaking concert, which is just amazing to think about. And then fast forward where I was going with this what the start of this thought was with Coachella, you could bring in all of those things. And I think that probably started the modern kind of way that you probably attend a music festival now where you yeah. can have those things and everything's a little bit more affordable. Kind of, that's, of. Wh- that's why you haven't had a Woodstock since then. And you've had these other music festivals kind of take off. Yeah. 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 Like it, it was evident from the time you show up when you see that it's on an air force base and it, this, it did not have that like hippie Woodstock vibe from 1969 that you were, that, you know, we had heard about growing up, like, like, yeah. Oh, this is weird. Like this. And you do have like, you know, Fred Durst is on, on stage talking about, you know, encouraging people to break stuff and things like that. Again, I don't think any of that's his fault. That's, he was playing like music from the CD that was selling. That's the reason he got the gig. Yeah. Uh, so he was just sticking to his, uh, his shtick, but it was, uh, it was a unique experience for sure. It's amazing. It, uh, so for everybody out there, I'd recommend you watch the documentary. It's, uh, it's because I think it just, I think we all, I don't know anyone that actually paid the pay-per-view to MTV to actually watch this thing. I don't know one soul that did, but it was, I just remember, I remember it. I think I remember 94, maybe because the, the Pepsi cans had the Woodstock 94 logos everywhere and we drank a bunch of Pepsi back in the day. <laughs> so I, I think I remember that, and, but I, I remember 99, but I, don't, I didn't recall any of this stuff. And I don't think that I knew anyone that was there and no one bought the pay-per-view. I think I probably knew about the fire. I remembered the fires, but I didn't know about all the other disaster that this whole thing was from just the, the planning, the resources, the environment, the violence, the, all the other stuff. Um, if there were social media back then, it would have been a, a larger story. But like, yeah, the only one that really covered it was MTV. Um, you know, it, I don't think it got like national news other than on cable. Yeah, other than MTV. Networks. Yeah. yeah, probably just MTV. Yeah. Yeah, you throw any type of social media there now and um, probably all four levels of the military are there to clean this sucker out. Yeah, yeah, very mm. much so. Well, hey man, I <laughs> I really wanted to, I really was like dying to just talk to you about this as you're the only person, as I said earlier, that I know that went to Woodstock and now Brad Ramley, um, who I really yeah. don't know Brad Ramley that well at all, but I uh, will have to get him back on at some point. But this was, uh, I didn't know the story. I didn't know how it happened. I think it's hilarious. You guys did it. And took off from Bud's after a softball game and drove to Rome, New York. In a, in a, in a borrowed car. In a borrowed car. With no money. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Um, but we will, I want to get you back on here soon because we do have a lot of stuff to talk about the draft. And we want to know about there's a lot of questions about just the UD guys that got drafted. Uh, we know some people like the Damon Deuce from Vandalia Butler at Wright state got signed. Uh, yeah. I think just, I want to get into like how the, I think the free agent signing stuff being that there's 20 rounds now versus 50 when we were back in college. And I think, I think back then you heard, a, I knew we knew of people getting signed that maybe got their 400 bucks and a plane ticket to wherever to go play. And I think now just from what I'm hearing, you're getting signing for real money. Um, right big money so I, i'm just i'm curious about how that process works plus 
I want to know how good these guys that the Cubs got. Jackson's got some Reds questions about who they picked up. So we'll uh, we'll try to get you back. Well, whatever the schedules work, in the next week or so, we'd love to get you back on and kind of chop up the baseball stuff that we wanted to get to. But I had to we, we wanted to get through the Woodstock 99 just because of your unique uh, position as the guy that, that went there. What you got, um, quick shout out to Pepe for giving you the car with and the, the screwdriver yeah, the screwdriver too that was essential so, you needed the screwdriver yes without the screwdriver you probably never could have made it i would agree i i was pretty i remember being pretty annoyed with my cousin rod frericks i think you you know him cody frericks is dad um he's great football coach rod frericks right because he had a pickup truck with like a, a cap over it and i'm like dude, let, let us borrow the truck so we can sleep in that bed back there. And he, he wouldn't do it. So would I'm you still, give, still would you give Bert Ranger and Brett Ranley your car? No, you're right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Like the, if anything, Jackson, this should be a, like, you need to surround yourself with people who make more responsible decisions than what, than what I did growing up. I'll, I'll tell him, I'll remind him. He's my football coach. I'll remind yeah. him about that. Ask, Ask him about the Woodstock night and see uh, see if he had, he'll he might have some some other memories of of us leaving. But I think he was you know he's my, he's he's my older cousin. I think he was slightly worried about us, and he correctly so because he was in his like upper twenties at this point and a responsible adult, and we were anything but that. <laughs> but it's at one in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Going to Rome, New York. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. Well, hey, buddy, thank you very much for taking us through this blast from the past, the story about your experience at Woodstock. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to do it. And uh, we'll get you back on here next week for uh, for the for the back to the MLB draft stuff. Good right. Sounds good. See you guys.